This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. False. What do you mean, Dwight? It wasn't forty-one or forty. Well, we're just getting into it now. I know, but I hate that rhyme. I guess it wouldn't be funny if it was true. Well, because of that rhyme, that's why we're covering this episode today. We're going to be covering the Lizzie Borden case, and most people have probably heard of the nursery rhyme, but none of it is actually true, like Erica said. So we're going to straighten some things out and tell you the the facts of what actually happened. Well, as much as we can. Yeah, there's a lot of, again, twists and turns here and things that don't add up. Yeah, there's a lot that's been lost to time and lore. Definitely lots of lore, which, like the nursery rhyme, you know. Which is really crazy that that nursery rhyme was around when she was still alive. Like, she heard that nursery rhyme. Right. It was actually started, or at least thought to have started, by some newsies who were trying to sell papers. And it was a catchier headline to make up that little nursery rhyme like that to hopefully get some more papers sold. Oh, they still do that. That's funny. Yeah, I I love a good rhyme. (laughs) I'm very good at puns and rhymes and whatnot. Oh, I meant exaggerate headlines oh. to get people to read the papers. Oh, they do do that too. But if anyone's ever talked to you, you do that as well. Hey, <laughs> except when it comes to true crime, then I'm super all about the facts. That's very true. But normally when talking to Isn't Erica, everything is very exaggerated. Well, it makes a better story. If you sat in traffic for 10 minutes, that's a terrible story. But if you sat in traffic for three days, that's a good story. <laughs> I'm all ears already. All right, well, let's get into this case because it could end up being a real long one. (laughs) All right. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19th in 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts, to her mother, Sarah Anthony Morse, and her father, Andrew Jackson Borden. She had two older sisters, the oldest one named Emma Lenora, and another sister named Alice Esther, who died as a toddler. Oh, Lenora is Grandma Nori's real name. Oh, hi, Grandma Nori. So her mom, Sarah, also passed away when Lizzie was really young. She wasn't even three yet. And her cause of death is listed as uterine congestion. And there's a note in there on her death certificate that says four MOS. So that may have been a clue that she was four months pregnant when she passed. But she was only 39 years old. And I have no idea what uterine congestion means. Yeah, I was going to ask, is there any other thing that it could have been a part of if it wasn't a pregnancy? I I don't know anything about uterine congestion. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Almost everything I've read said they just had weird names for things back then because they didn't know what things were. So it could have been cancer. It could have been anything. Yeah. Oh, well, I I guess they're, yeah, true. They could have been really a multitude of things and called it, you know, what they thought it might have been. Yep. Her father, Andrew, he grew up in a very modest household, and he really struggled financially as he was young and growing up. He did eventually become very successful. He was he was into manufacturing furniture and caskets, and he even became a prominent property developer in the area. He was the director, too, of several textile mills and owned a lot of property. He was also president of the Union Savings Bank and a director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Co., he was estimated to be worth 
between three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars, which would be about nine to ten million in today's money. Man, he was a hustler. He did a lot of stuff. Yeah, he really did. But he, you know, from what it sounds like, he came from such humble beginnings and struggled. He had to do a little bit of everything to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. And despite being super successful and everything, he was known for being a real cheapskate. I like him. I know. When I read about him, I'm like, oh, this is Grant. Yeah, I love like, saving money team. and and. Cutting yeah. corners when I can. Yeah. So an example of this is the Borden home where they lived didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity, <laughs> even though it was like common for upper class homes to have indoor plumbing and electricity in the late 1800s. That's probably a little much for me. I'd probably still, uh, you know, shell out for the indoor plumbing. Yeah. He was known to make enemies in business, shady business deals and such. There's even a legend that he would cut off the feet of deceased people so they would fit in smaller caskets and therefore he could save money on supplies. I probably wouldn't do that one either, but I did think about the indoor plumbing though and he probably saved so much money on water, so it's probably not the worst thing in the world. But cutting off the feet for people to fit into caskets, that might be one of the worst things in the world. Those are just some of the things that he was... Kind of known to be shady in business to make as much money as he could, but then he was really cheap and would never spend his money. So most of the wealthy residents of Fall River, they lived on what was known as the Hill, but the Bordens lived in a more working class neighborhood that was, I guess, off the Hill, even though they had as much money as the the wealthier residents. So three years after their mother's death, when Lizzie was five or six and her older sister Emma was like 13 or 14... Their father married a lady named Abby Gray, and Lizzie and Emma were raised in the church and were very active members of the Central Congregational Church, and Lizzie even taught Sunday school as she got older. Yeah, and Lizzie and Emma both were never married and still living at home with their father and Abby, even as you know time progressed and they got older. So they were known as spinsters within the community. So one luxury that Andrew did pop for was a housekeeper or like a live-in maid. And the Borden's housekeeper's name was Bridget Sullivan. And she was a 25-year-old immigrant from Ireland. But for some reason, Emma and Lizzie refused to call her Bridget. And they called her Maggie. And I don't know if they meant this like rude or if it was endearing i'm not sure everything that i saw on this was that they called her maggie because that was the name of a former housekeeper that they had and they just didn't really want to learn her new name so they referred to her as maggie Hmm. yeah so kind of kind of a dick move yeah so bridget or maggie has said that in the last few years leading up to this event the girls rarely sat down for meals with their parents which was uncommon back then if you lived at home you sat down and had meals together that was kind of the deal but tensions were really high in the borden house and one of the reasons for this was because andrew had gifted some real estate to one of abby's family members And the girls were being real snarky about it. They were not happy. No, they were like, hey, you're just going to give that person, you know, some land. Like, what about us? And so he did. He ended up giving them each a house and they just turned around and sold it right back to him for cash. Right. So it was no secret that Lizzie and Emma probably wanted to live on the hill. That was kind of a thing. They were like, hey. We're wealthy. We rub shoulders with these people. Why don't we live near them? Plus, I'm sure they just wanted a bathroom. Oh, yeah. I'm sure at this point, I mean, you see your friends who have them and not exactly a luxury item anymore. They're a necessity and you're still having to go out to the outhouse. So around 1890, 
things were starting to get a little tense in the house and everything. And Andrew sent Lizzie abroad for a few months. And I've never read anything about what she did overseas, but she was overseas for a few months. Yeah, I was wondering. I had heard that too, but there's no but she real... she wasn't in school. Yeah, there's no real info on to what she was doing. And remember, she was a, a full-grown adult at this point. Right. She was 30 years old. Yeah. So when she returned, the tension was getting palpable in the house, which is... Pretty obvious when you're 32 and your sister's 41 and you're still living at home with your parents, like, I'm sure it's going to be tense. That's why people move out now. But back in the 1800s, if you weren't married, you didn't leave. You didn't move out. It wasn't socially acceptable for women to move out of their parents' house until they got married. Just so crazy to think about now because, I mean, anybody's they go to college at 18 and they're out on their own. Or, but, you know, back then, that's just not how things ran. Girls didn't go to college. No. And, you know, girls didn't move out until they were married. These girls were never married. Yeah, Lizzie was never even finished high school. Which wasn't uncommon then. No, of course not. So the tension was getting pretty high, so much so that after this whole real estate business, Lizzie refused to call Abby mother or stepmother or even Abby. She would only refer to her as Mrs. Borden. Oh, that's so cold. I know. I thought so, too. Oh, man. Hey, Mrs. Borden. Although back then, even calling her Abby probably would have been super disrespectful. Well, she was calling her mom, you know, like that's yeah. mother, I guess. She was calling her mother and refused to and just referred to her as Mrs. Borden. Yep. The house also had this really like weird layout and it's kind of important to the story because all of the bedrooms sort of open up to each other and it's not a very big house. And so f- how I understand it, to go into the next person's room, you would have to go through somebody else's room. So kind of everybody's walking through everybody else's room at some point. Right. Like the whole upstairs is bedrooms. There's not really hallways. You kind of walk through bedrooms to get to other bedrooms, which is. Have you been to this house? Totally uncalled for. I have not. No, I haven't either, but I would like to go. But from what I've seen, it's not very big, which is a huge kind of important part of this story is that it's not a huge house. It's not like if you were in one part of the house, you couldn't hear what was going on in the other part. You should have been able to hear. Right. Well, even then, you know, with how big the houses could have been, I would think it's not as sturdy as houses are now. So if, you know, the walls are thin and whatnot, you could probably hear things pretty well throughout the house. Right. So by the summer of 92, 1892, (laughs) Lizzie was 32 and Emma was 41 and they were still going stag to church stuff and still living at home. And this is when weird things started happening. And it's been said that the family was starting to kind of get paranoid about some of the stuff that was happening in the house. Yeah, there was a break in at the house and... All that was really stolen was some cash and some of Abby's jewelry, and kind of everybody speculated that it was Lizzie who was responsible for the break-in, but from what I understand, yeah. she was never ever accused by her dad or anybody else of it, but it was kind of well-known. that. Yeah, but her dad called off the investigation a few weeks after, called the police and said, stop it. Yeah. So I think he probably So it's knew. been kind of speculated that he thought it was Lizzie. I could see that, yeah. Or somebody else in the house. Maybe he suspected one of the two girls, you know. Yeah, but I've always heard that it was Lizzie. But, I mean, again, we don't hear about Emma taking an axe. We only hear about Lizzie, so maybe that's why. There's also been a lot of stories and rumor that Lizzie used to shoplift from stores in town when she was younger. 
it was so well known that the storekeepers would just keep track of what she stole and then call her dad and he would pay for it. What a crazy thing. Just, oh, she's just a stealer. She's just, that's okay. She's a klepto. Yeah. Oh, just put it on yeah. her tab. That's, you know, that's Mr. Borden's daughter. Like, no big deal. So after this break in, towards the beginning of August, the whole family, Abby, Andrew, Emma, Lizzie, and Maggie, their maid, all got super sick, just violently ill, and they started to believe that somebody was trying to poison them. It was 1892, and I've heard a lot of stuff about how they ate mutton stew for like three days. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that made you sick. That's sheep. You can't eat sheep. I've heard that mutton that mutton was kept outside in what was a cooler box, I guess. They had like an ice box, but it was outside, and, and it could have been up to even five days. So, yeah, it really wasn't taken care of very well. Yeah, so it's like I'm sure they had food poisoning. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Or salmonella or something. Something disgusting. So it makes more sense that it would have been like food poisoning or E. coli or something. Because August 3rd, their Uncle John, which is their mom, Sarah's brother, came to visit. And John didn't get sick. Because he didn't eat five-day-old mutton. Right. But if you would think if they had a virus or something, he would have caught it. Well, yeah, but they were thinking they were getting poisoned anyway, so... So maybe he didn't eat the mutton because he was like, well, maybe it's that that's poisoned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it was... By the sunshine. Yeah, maybe he was like, um, I figured out what it is, and I'm not eating your poison mutton. Right? So Liz even mentioned to a family friend the night of August 3rd that she thought somebody was trying to poison them. Like, specifically mentioned it to somebody and said that her dad must have pissed somebody off in a shady business deal. And it's kind of weird that she mentions that to somebody, too. You know, like, yeah, it's kind of a tough thing to swallow. Unless, I don't know, maybe the poisoning was a big thing back in the 1890s. I don't, I don't know. Well, the next morning, August 4th, Maggie made breakfast for the entire family. And Lizzie didn't eat with them. And Emma was out of town. So John, Andrew, and Abby ate together. Then John headed out to do some business, run errands or something like that. And Andrew leaves for work. He's going to go do his thing as well. And Abby asked Maggie to clean the windows while she made the guest room from John sleeping in there. But Maggie was sick, too. So it's kind of a really, like, mean thing to do to somebody who's also sick. Yeah, that was a total dick move. Yeah, asking them to get up and, you know, clean windows and stuff like that. Yeah. Especially because on August 4th, it was over 100 degrees that day. It was hot. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure they didn't have air conditioning or fans or who knows. He might not even sprung for windows. Yeah. Well, obviously they had windows because she made Maggie go out and clean the windows. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was somebody else's windows. So Lizzie was home and her story kind of flip flops about what she was doing at this time. In some scenarios, she says she was ironing handkerchiefs and Another story, she was picking pears from a tree outside and eating them in the barn. And in another one, she was looking for lead sinkers to go fishing, even though she hadn't fished in five years. Her stories were kind of all over the map about where she was. Her inconsistency in that doesn't help her later on. But her dad no. came home from work around 1045 in the morning, but he was locked out of the house. And the reason this matters is because Maggie let him in through the front door. But she says, too, that she heard Lizzie upstairs. She let him in the front door and then she closed the door behind him and she supposedly locked it. But who knows? So her, her dad says to Lizzie, like, hey, where's Abby? And Lizzie says, oh, she got a note from a sick friend and wanted to go visit them. I don't know who it was. 
which is really weird. Yeah, and then the dad was like, where's the note? And she's like, I don't know. She must have taken it with her. And it's like, oh, okay. So after Lizzie tells her dad that Abby left, Maggie went and laid down because she was really sick and she had to clean windows and I'm sure she wasn't feeling good. So she went and laid down and... 15 minutes later, and she says she knows that time because the town bells ring on the hour every hour. Good way to tell the time. Yeah. So at about 11 a.m., she heard the bells, and she also heard Lizzie screaming for her from the living room. So when she gets to the parlor, Maggie can see that Andrew was laying on the couch, and half of his head was bashed in what we'd find out later was probably with a hatchet. He was clearly dead. And she asked Lizzie what what happened. And Lizzie told her she doesn't know. She was outside, and when she came back in, the door was open, and he was dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Have you seen the pictures of this? Yeah, it's horrible. Oh, it really is. It's really, really bad. I can't believe that those are on the internet. It's surprising that, one, they have pictures of it, and it's surprising, again, that they have it on the internet for people to see. Because it's, it's bad. It really is. And. We're a true crime podcast that looks at dead things all the time, and this is pretty bad. Yeah, the crime scene photos from this are ugh. Yeah. And it's not so much, like, gore, because they're not in color, but I almost think that's what makes them creepier, is that they're black and white. Well, and if you kind of, if you go on Google and kind of scroll through, you can get ones with different resolutions and different filters, I guess. And so you can see some things a little bit better, and the more you look, probably the worse it gets. It was, it was a very brutal attack. Yeah. So Maggie runs out to go get the town doctor, Dr. Bowen. And when he comes back with Maggie, Maggie and Lizzie wait in the kitchen while Dr. Bowen checks Andrew Borden out and confirms that he's dead. It's like, yeah, we knew that. He was missing half his face. Yeah. And again, if you see the pictures, you'll know (laughs) when you see him. Oh, yeah, that guy's dead. There's no way. Yeah. It's like you don't need a Ph.D. to figure that out. Right. But then a neighbor showed up and she starts asking about Abby, like, hey, where is she? And. Lizzie says, well, you know, I think I actually heard her come home. And and she says to Maggie, like, why don't you go check? Maggie's like, nope, not doing that. I do not get it paid enough for this. Yeah. So Mrs. Churchill and Maggie, they go together. And I don't know how they still convinced Maggie to go, but they did. So they went yeah. together. They climbed the stairs. And they immediately, they saw Abby laying on the ground in the guest room. And like Andrew, she had been brutally murdered also. With, again, what we would find out later was probably a hatchet. So not an axe, like the nursery rhyme. A hatchet is a small axe, and Mm. it sounds better than the nursery rhyme. Yeah. They brought the bodies into the dining room and did the autopsy there, which it's like, what? (sighs) Lawless land of the 19... Nope. 1890s. Anything goes, including autopsies in the kitchen. Yeah. Dining room. In the dining room. You can do whatever you want. Which is where you eat dinner now if you stay at this house. Because the Borden house is a bed and breakfast now. So I'm like, what? What? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. That is in the same table? Well, I don't know if it's the same table. But they have the cooling racks, I think it's called, or drying racks, that they did the autopsies on. And they're hanging on the wall in the dining room. Oh, I'm telling Christine to to book us a flight. I need to see this. I can't believe you didn't know that it was a bed and breakfast. I think I had heard that, but had forgotten because. Yeah, it's kind of cool. They do have plumbing and electricity now, though. Ooh, do they still have the outhouse for you to visit? I have no idea. 
Hey y'all, I'm Christina. And I'm Mary. And we are the Southern Sisters and co-hosts of the new podcast, True Crime Down Yonder. Each week, Christina and I discuss the creepiest, weirdest, unsettling true crime cases and mysteries of the Deep South. We also cover the paranormal ghost stories and Southern myths that'll give you full body chills. Goosebumps. So join us on Fridays to get your true crime fix with a morbid comical twist. You can listen for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope y'all will listen and subscribe. Bye, Bye, y'all. During this autopsy in the dining room, because apparently that's just how things were going down back then. Yeah, why not? This is where they determined that Abby was struck 19 times, so not 40. And Andrew was struck 10 or 11 times, so not 41. No, much less. Yeah, but still awful because both of them, it was total overkill. Probably one or two of these blows would have killed them. So the rest was just for good measure. Get some aggression rage. out, maybe, or yeah, exactly, rage. And well, and based on the findings too, it looked like Abby had even been murdered probably an hour or two before Andrew, which means the person who did it laid in wait, waiting for him to come home. Well, it also means that Abby was not out visiting a friend who was sick. Well, not yet. She was. Who knew? Maybe she was on her way to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can tell where you're going with that. Okay. So at this point, the police start their investigation, but not really, because they didn't do a thorough search of the house. They never searched anything of Lizzie's in her room or anything, because that would have been improper to, like, go through a woman's things. Oh, man. You can get away with anything as a woman these days. I know. Well, we'll see. Well, I guess it makes up for the Salem witch trials, you know, where women couldn't get away with anything because they could be witches, and (laughs) now they can get away with anything, so I guess things balance out. Hopefully we can balance things out now. Yeah. So, a few days after the murder, a pharmacist comes forward and tells the police that Lizzie came into his store and tried to buy prussic acid, and the pharmacist was like, uh, negative, I'm not selling you prussic acid, because it's pretty much cyanide. Well, but he gave her a hard time because she was a woman and said, like, oh, I'm going to have to have to ask your father first. And she was like, I'm a grown ass woman. I do not need yeah. my father's permission to buy anything. And the, yeah. and the pharmacist was like, yes, you do. So she wasn't allowed to buy it. <laughs> yep. So then the same friend that Lizzie had told that she was scared that somebody was trying to kill them was at the Borden home a few days after the murders. And she says that she saw Lizzie burning a dress. And she went straight to the police. Like, I think Lizzie thought this girl was a way better friend than she was because this girl was like singing pretty loud right away. She was not a ride or die. Well, yeah. But, you know, when police asked Lizzie about these things, she said that the acid was for cleaning a seal skin cape and the dress was covered in paint that she'd ruined. So she decided to burn it, which does not help her story again. I mean, that I mean, a seal skin cape. I'll be honest. I don't know how to clean one. Hopefully I never run into one because that sounds terrible. Yeah. A dress covered in paint. Is that what they did with things back then was burning dresses when you couldn't wear them anymore? Well, I'm pretty sure they burned everything because I doubt they had like weekly trash service. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a trash guy. I'm pretty sure you dealt with your own stuff. Mm, burn piles. I love a good burn pile. I don't know. Almost everything I own is covered in paint and I don't burn any of my clothes. So I don't know. Doesn't mean you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> so... Emma backed up most of Lizzie's story from the start. 
you know, when they started questioning Lizzie as a suspect, her sister Emma was like, no way. She wouldn't kill our dad. Get real. You know, she she was pretty firm behind Lizzie the whole time. She was. And she backed her. You know, as soon as the allegations came in, all the way through, she always had her back on this. Yeah, she did. So... Lizzie and Maggie were both home during the murders, and they both claimed that they never heard or saw anything or anybody. Yeah, she said that she never saw anything, but a few days after her parents' funeral, the state did an inquest with Lizzie, and during the inquest, Lizzie was really heavily medicated on morphine, and her answers were pretty nonsensical and contradictory, which made her look even more guilty in all of this. Yeah, but could you imagine being questioned for days all drugged up on morphine? Like, you're probably talking crazy. Oh, I'm absolutely sure of it. I mean, people who are on morphine a lot of times talk crazy anyway. Take into account that you're in a chair and uncomfortable and not slept. Oh, yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah, and it was hot. It was August, so. Oh, right. Yeah. So on August 11th, she was arrested for the murders of her parents. And it was almost a year before she went to trial. But by the time they went to trial, she had fantastic attorneys. One of her attorneys was even the former governor of Massachusetts, and he had appointed the judge in the case to his position. That's why there's that's why there's laws on this now. There's no way yeah. something like that would be allowed now. You know, like, yeah, oh, I got you your job and now I'm I'm going to need you to, to help me out. Right. Gosh, like you got yeah. if you're Lizzie Borden, though, and you're like, this guy's my lawyer. You got to be like, awesome. <laughs> I'm in good hands. Right. And she had, like, a team of lawyers. It wasn't just this guy. She had other lawyers that were also very good. She had the dream team before the dream team was a thing. Yep. Well, they did call this the trial of the century, just like the OJ trial. But it was the one before. These guys were really good, and they got two things thrown out right away. One was the inconsistent testimony from her inquiry, because she was already high on morphine, like, Duh, they couldn't use that. Yeah. And they also got the prussic acid claim thrown out because the autopsy didn't show any signs or evidence of a poisoning. So they were like, hey, that doesn't make sense. Take it out. Yeah, they were saying that it wasn't relevant. Yeah, exactly. And at this point, the prosecution's case is starting to crumble. And Lizzie really did get a few other lucky breaks. And one of those being that it was an all-male jury. And they were so short-minded and they thought a woman couldn't do something like this. Like, she was not capable of something like this. Right, because back then, like you said, women poisoned people. They didn't kill people with patches. <laughs> right. It was more ladylike. I mean, it was back then more ladylike to kill somebody with poison than it would be to hatchet them to death. Plus, it'd be a lot cleaner. And I'm De- sure they think about that. Like, oh, I'm the one that's going to have to clean this up. Yeah, it would definitely be a lot cleaner. You're right. I could see I could see somebody going <laughs> the poison route so there was less cleanup. Absolutely. Yeah. Women think of everything ahead of time. So, <laughs> yeah. So the prosecution even did some real Hail Mary moves, like boiling the flesh off of the skulls of Andrew and Abby and presenting them in court so they could show the wounds. And this totally backfired on them because part of their argument was that Lizzie didn't react to her parents' murder the way a proper woman should have. She should have overreacted and fainted and been hysterical, and she wasn't. And in court, when they took out her parents' skulls and showed the hatchet wounds in the skulls and, like, lined the hatchet up with the skulls, she fainted in court. This is some really weird stuff. Like... Yes. It was very theatrical. This is really lawless land. Like, what are you doing? Boiling flesh off of a skull? 
goal to show to the the child of the deceased person? Oh my god! Well, they were trying to show it to the jury. I understand what they were trying to do, but it was yeah. what an awful thing for even the jury to have to look at. I know, but they didn't. I mean, they were running out of ideas, I guess. Yeah, they were grasping big time. So it totally backfired on them because she did. She fainted, which was the reaction that they were saying that she should have had. And then she had it. So it was like, okay, what are you saying then? Yeah. Way to prove your point, guys. Like the prosecution on this didn't do very well in conjunction with the defense doing very well. (laughs) And that's never going to line up, you know, for the prosecution. Right. The only evidence that was never really explained away or didn't make any sense was that note that Lizzie said that Abby received and that she was going to go visit a friend. And that obviously wasn't true and they couldn't explain why she would say that and they they never found that note. Right, which is why they assumed that it wasn't true, that she did not get a note from a messenger because they never found the note and no messenger came forward and there was no sick friend. So why would Lizzie ever say that if it wasn't true? Emma and Lizzie even put an ad out in the paper trying to get the messenger service that delivered the note to come forward and say, look, help us out with this note thing. But nobody ever came forward. So they never explained away the note. But it didn't matter because the defense was doing so well and... They had a long line of townspeople, relatives, friends, and they all testified that Lizzie loved her dad and would never kill him. And even if she had killed her stepmom, which they also say she wouldn't do, she would have never killed her dad. Well, and those witnesses seem to have worked because it only took the jury 90 minutes to come back and decide that she was not guilty. Yep. So after her acquittal, Lizzie and Emma, they inherited all of their father and Abby's estate worth again 400 to 500,000 dollars which would be again 9 to 10 million dollars today but it wasn't all fun and games even though some people thought that they could never kill their parents most of the town did think that she was guilty in some aspect and they blackballed her and she still didn't leave yep they stayed in fall river even though the whole town kind of like ostracized her yeah her and emma though they bought that big house on the hill that they always wanted and they continued to live together for a for a while and they even named the house Maplecroft. I don't know why we keep going over cases where the people have named their house like Breeze Knoll from John List. I know. I thought you'd like that. I do like that. But it was reported, though, that this house had four bathrooms, which makes quite a bit of sense. <laughs> knowing, you know, <laughs> knowing how badly these girls wanted that bathroom. Right. She also changed her name to Lizbeth at this time. So was she Elizabeth before and changed it to Lizbeth? Or no, was she, she just, was Lizzie? just Lizzie. She was just Lizzie. Yeah. Okay. But she changed it to Lizbeth. Like, people aren't going to know who you are. <laughs> They're not going to catch on. <laughs> you went from Lizzie yeah. Borden to Lizbeth Borden. Oh, I'll never find you. I know, right? I was like, okay, that's not very clever. She should take the notes from John List. <laughs> yep. They did live together at Maplecroft for another 15 years until 1905. And this is when Emma and Lizzie had a falling out of some kind. It's never really been explained and it's kind of mysterious. But Emma left. And the sisters refused to speak to each other ever again. But even after that, she still supported Lizzie and said that she did not kill their parents. So, I don't know, for 22 years, they didn't speak. No, they didn't. Emma moved out and they didn't speak ever again. Which obviously was a really big rift because they were so close and stood by each other through what had to have been a devastating time. And then something did cause them to go their separate ways which we'll get into in theory land (laughs) 
But when Lizzie was 66 years old, she came down with pneumonia. And on June 1st of 1927, she died. And the day of her death, her sister Emma, who she hadn't spoken to for 22 years, she had a fall down some stairs and she actually passed away nine days later on June 10th. Yeah, so not having spoken in 22 years and they died 10 days apart, nine days apart. Well, and her sister had that fall on the day that Lizzie died. So it was kind of like, you know, all in order. Yeah, it's crazy. So the entire Borden family is buried together at Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River, Massachusetts. So Andrew, Sarah, his first wife, Emma, Alice, Lizzie, and Abby. You can go visit them still. Yep. So you want to get into theories about what could have happened since this is not a solved case. She wasn't convicted. She was not ever convicted, but... You know, obviously there was still that stigma around her from the the town and whatnot. So one of the major theories was that Lizzie and Maggie were lovers and that they killed Abby and Andrew. Yeah. Part of the reason for that is because maybe Abby caught them because Andrew was gone. John was gone. And it was just Maggie, Lizzie and Abby in the home. And maybe Abby caught them and they killed her. And then once they killed her, they had to kill Andrew. I don't know why they would kill Andrew, but... You think they just had no other choice than to kill him too? Yeah. My only thing with this theory, I mean, it's interesting to think about, but if that was the case and they were lovers and they killed her parents so they could be together or whatever, why weren't they together after? I mean, that is something to think about. Why why didn't they stick together? The next theory is that Uncle John killed them, that maybe he was in some sort of business deal with Andrew and... He was pissed over it, and he killed them, which, eh. I don't think so. I don't know why he would start and kill Abby and then lie in wait for Andrew. You know, that doesn't make sense. The door was locked. Uncle John couldn't have killed him because Andrew didn't even have a key to get in. Once John left for the day, I don't think he could have gotten in. Well, somebody could have let him in, just like they let Andrew in. Sure, but... Oh, you, so you think that maybe Maggie let him in? Well, that's another theory, that John and Maggie were having an affair. And that they got caught and John was married and Maggie was the Borden's housekeeper. So it was like not allowed. And so they got caught and then they killed him. Wow. That makes sense. I could see that. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So another theory is the intruder theory, which is about as popular as the JonBenet Ramsey intruder theory. Almost nobody thinks it was an intruder. Yeah, absolutely not. It was definitely somebody from the inside in both cases, if you ask me. Although, hot take, I think the John Benet Ramsey case was an intruder. Do you? Mm-hmm. You don't think it was the brother? No. Huh. I guess we're going to have to cover John Benet and get into that. Yeah, because he was nine. And I understand that nine-year-olds have issues and they could kill somebody, but why wouldn't the parents just tell the police that their son killed their daughter? I don't know, because they already have one child gone. You know, protect the other one, but... Protect from what? He was nine. He couldn't have been held criminally responsible. He was nine. Right, because you can't be held criminally responsible until you're 10, right? I think it's 12, isn't it? I thought it was 10. I don't know. I mean, either one is too young, so... Yeah. So, anyway, we'll do John JonBenet Ramsey once it's solved. Oh, good. (laughs) Just around the corner, then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. (laughs) For the last 25 years. Yeah. So, I don't think it could have been an intruder. That just doesn't seem like it could make that much sense. Another theory is that Lizzie had a secret lover who killed them. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Yeah, it doesn't because if Lizzie had a boyfriend who killed them, why wouldn't she just get married? Like that was the whole problem here was that she was an adult living with her parents. Like 
she should have had a boyfriend and moved out years before this happened. So why would her having a boyfriend be a problem? Maybe she didn't have a boyfriend. Maybe she had a secret lover that was a woman. Maybe it wasn't Maggie who was her her lover. Maybe it was somebody else. I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, too. Yeah, I could see something like that happening. But still, like you said, that still doesn't make any sense because then they weren't together after this happened. Like, if you're so in love that you're going to kill one of your guys' parents over it, wouldn't you be together when they're dead? Hmm. Yeah, you would... You would definitely think that's how it would work out unless after it happened, one of the parties was like, hey, this was too much. Um, I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah, just ghosted. Yeah. Probably would have been real easy to ghost people in 1892. In the lawless land, you can do whatever you want. You literally could have moved like two streets over. You didn't even have to go to the next town. You can move like two streets over and just now you're this person. <laughs> <laughs> now you're Bob Clark. Yeah. So obviously the main theory is that Lizzie killed them and she got away with the perfect crime, which was far from the perfect crime. Yeah, it wasn't the perfect crime. It was 1892 and... Yeah, exactly. And really ignorant thinking from other people that, that really... Yeah. Really and got And dumb us here. luck. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this one makes the most sense. Obviously, we know Lizzie already didn't like her mom or her stepmom. It does make a lot of sense that Lizzie would kill them, obviously. She had the most opportunity... But what would be the motive besides money? Because it seemed like her dad was still taking care of her and she would have gotten his money when he died anyway. So what is the motive for killing them besides the fact that she just kind of didn't like her stepmom? Well, I think, you know, she obviously didn't like her stepmom, number one. But with her dad and that being the the real head scratcher, there's a lot of rumors and theories that go around this that say, she did this because she there were some pigeons that were living in the barn on their property. And Lizzie was a really big animal lover and was taking care of these pigeons and treated them like they were her pets. And her dad one day went into the barn and killed these pigeons with a hatchet because they were going to make pigeon pie out of them. Also, you know, there were boys coming out of the property and causing problems chasing after the pigeons, which makes no sense. But yeah. that that could be the motive. You know, she was a huge animal lover and... I I read, too, that when she died, she left a large portion of her money to an animal rights organization. So, Well, yeah. Who else was she going to leave it to? Well, exactly. But but seeing that she actually left it to an animal rights organization, she could have left it to her church that she was very active in. She could have left it to a number. Her church blackballed her after... Okay, well, she could have she could have left it to a number of different organizations, an orphanage yeah. or something like that, and she chose to leave yeah. it to an animal rights group. And I think that that's very telling. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. People have killed each other for a lot less, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think she did. <laughs> I just find it hard to believe that you would kill your only parent that you have left that supposedly you've been close with your whole life over some birds. Like, I just... But I'm not a bird girl, so... <laughs> You're not a bird girl, and who knows? I mean, maybe to her, those pigeons represented something you know her dad took away there's a lot of theories on why she would have killed them obviously money is the biggest i would think because she wanted that house on the hill with the bathroom that makes sense too yeah i just with everybody saying how much she loved her dad it's like but for money really because it's he seemed to give her what she needed i know she didn't have a bathroom but (laughs) you know if she would have pushed that a little harder i mean he sent her to europe he yeah. bought her a house. I wonder if that house had a bathroom. From what I understand, the house that he gave them was a rental property that of people who lived there and would pay rent. So 
I don't know if it had a bathroom or not, but that was another reason why she didn't want to take it. She didn't want to, you know, deal with the upkeep of renters. Well, yeah, that's what I heard was that her and Emma realized after he gave it to them that they were using most of the rent money every month to put back into the property and take care of it. And they were like, well, this isn't fun. It's like, yeah, that's what rentals are all about. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so there there could be a motive that we don't even understand why she did it. If she did it, maybe her dad was abusive or, you know, but it's like there's no evidence of that. No, there's absolutely no evidence that her dad was physically or sexually abusive, but it is a thought that people have had because it would explain why she might, why, yeah, why she might do something like this. Right. And how sad would that be if she didn't do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think she did do it. I think you think she did it, but if she didn't do it and this was something that she stumbled upon, like she claims (laughs) it's a really bad situation to walk in on. Yeah, it Uh, is. Traumatizing, life-changing. I mean, I do think that she did it, but there is a lot of arguments against her doing it. Like, where's all the blood? How was she so clean when Maggie came down just a few minutes after she let him in the door? Maggie comes down, he's totally dead and bloody, and Lizzie's there, not bloody. How? I did hear that the theory on that is that she possibly took her dress off so no blood was on her or on her clothes but that doesn't make any sense you know because there would still be blood all over her they don't have indoor plumbing exactly so i mean it's not like she had running water yeah so that theory doesn't make a whole lot of sense and you know maybe she after she killed her dad she changed really quick came out and then had the theatrical hysterical fit yeah but there wasn't a lot of time and then where did the bloody dress go if she did that, just say she changed fast, which I don't know if you've seen a dress from the 1800s, but you don't get in and out of them very fast. <laughs> and a lot of times you needed a housekeeper or a maid to help you get in them. So if she was able to change fast on her own, where did her bloody dress go? Well, we know she burned a dress and she had a bucket of blood and rags. Is it possible that she killed her father went and had this bucket of rags waiting because she had already killed yeah. Abby? washed off again and you know changed her dress as fast as she could knowing that hey i'm gonna have to yeah. do this again i guess that that is possible is it also possible that he didn't come home at ten forty-five too maybe he came home at ten thirty or ten twenty. you know totally possible if maggie did go upstairs to lay down she says she was only asleep for a few minutes well how do right. you know it was 1892 it's not like you had an iphone <laughs> right and exactly she could have thought oh it's probably around 10 45 i was only laying down for for 15 minutes before the bells goes but she falls asleep and she's not feeling well how does she know yeah it could have been a half hour it could have been 10 15 it totally could have been absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely so i guess i guess we explained it away. i guess we solved it yeah well i mean better than the prosecution did obviously because they couldn't get a conviction yeah. so in short lizzie borden did take a hatchet and gave her stepmother 18 and 19 wax then when she saw what she had done, gave her father 11 to 12. No, 10 to 11. Eh, 10 to 11. See, it doesn't <laughs> rhyme very well anyway, so. Yeah, it doesn't sound real great Yeah, it's probably why the Newsies didn't use it. Yeah. So do you have any announcements or any shout-outs to make this week? No announcements or shout-outs. Just thank you to everybody who's been listening, commented, talked to us personally or on the internet. We are having so much fun doing it and had a lot more success than we thought we would so thank you for listening going to our instagram from crime to crime and caring about what we put out yep please don't forget to rate and review us 
wherever you listen to your podcast. I guess we're done with Lizzie Borden, kid. All right. Well, I'll give you a call. I love you. All right. I love you, too.